the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, reflecting into early Christianity, primitive Christianity. Uh, Usually I have John O'Hara with me. He was unable to be with me tonight. So as I have in the past, I have a pinch hitter. (laughs) And his name is George Wing. George, it is great to have you with me tonight. Good to be here, Joe. So, George, when we left last week, I told our listening audience that we were done with Acts and we were going to kind of move into the Bible's first echo um, with the likes of a St. Clement of Rome. But in fact, I've changed my mind. I think there is some uh, important figures we need to discuss in the book of Acts. God put it on my heart. He said, go back to the book of Acts. I said, okay. And so, uh, we are going to talk about this wonderful example of what... uh, a married couple looks like in the spirit of evangelization in Priscilla and Aquila. And it really will afford us the opportunity to not only talk about what married evangelization looks like, but also what it looks like in the early church and how it opens us up to better understand what was going on in the early church. You know, I have said here on the past that when it comes to the book of Acts, yes, we are to read it as kind of the first church history book, But it's more than that. I mean, we have more than a bird's eye view of what's going on. I mean, Luke records for us some nice details that I just thought to myself, you know, we really need to explore these more, reflect upon these more, and we're going to do that with uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Acts is my favorite book in the Bible, and I've read it many times. There's a reason why we study history, of course, and it engenders gratitude. Because when you look at the lives of um, the apostles and of those that were collaborators with the apostles like Aquila and Priscilla, you see the tremendous sacrifice in their determination, the depth of faith. And with that comes an appreciation for the faith that we have received after 20 centuries from the work of people like Aquila and Priscilla. Mm. and um, cooperating with the apostles to bring us the story of Christ, the Christian faith. Yeah. And so what we have in sacred scripture in the book of Acts is uh, some, some nice verses that offer us some insight into who they are. So why don't you get us going uh, here, George, with Acts 18. Sure. Aquila and Priscilla, also known as Prisca. Uh, Priscilla was the diminutive form of Prisca, a married couple, uh, Jews, living in Rome uh, initially, uh, but they're a part of an expulsion under the emperor Claudius. Uh, sometime in his reign, I think it was uh, maybe AD 41, uh, their Jews were, because of a rioting over a certain Crestus. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Or> Christus. <laughs> okay. He was not informed about who Christ was. <laughs> right. This is uh, the account given by Suetonius. I've also heard it pronounced Suetonius, but Suetonius is what I heard an Englishman say, so of course it's a much more sophisticated yes, yes. pronunciation, <laughs> but a Roman historian 
Uh, Jews were expelled under Claudius uh, because of this rioting having to do with this Christian sect. And um, Aquila and Priscilla, tent makers, make their way from one commercial center, Rome, to another, Corinth. And of course, Corinth is located on the isthmus uh, that connects the uh, Peloponnesia with the uh, Greek mainland mm-hmm. and would have been a commercial center. The Greeks had dug a canal there. And, um, bef- well, before r- the Romans arrived, I think it was around 140-150 BC, the Romans had destroyed an enormous temple in Corinth, and that was to the cult of Aphrodite, the goddess of yes, love. Yes. Now, Corinth had a rather seedy reputation <laughs> that exist, or that lingered even after the destruction of that temple. And there was also a very ancient temple to the god Apollo in Corinth as well. So it was not only an important commercial center, but it was a, a, a center for the pagan religions, the ancient religion of Greece. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that religion did... Um, you know, involve temple prostitution and, and that sort of thing. So uh, debauchery or to be debauched like a Corinthian carried a certain heavy meaning. That was, I imagine, quite an insult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, Aquila and Priscilla make their way to Corinth, and it's there that um, they meet Paul. Okay, Paul has left Athens. He goes to Corinth. He himself, by trade, is a tent maker. All Jewish uh, boys were brought up in a trade so that they could support themselves. And so besides his tremendous academic training, Paul had a way to work with his hands to put food on the table. And tent making would have been, a, a, I, I imagine, a very lucrative but a very portable occupation. All you'd have to do is situate yourself in the street of the tent makers uh, and maybe do contract work for an established tent maker or eventually set up your own shop and you could have a boom in business. So this is the day before RVs and trailers yeah, <laughs> and and uh, Romans were great travelers. Imagine having a contract like for the tenth legion to provide the tents. Sure. Okay. Yeah. There's also yeah. a tremendous amount of repair work. Um, any uh, owner of a large piece of property would have had tents. Okay, to go out and supervise construction on the property. Um, travelers would have had tents. Merchants would have had tents. You know, <laughs> I mean, so this is a huge undertaking yeah. and enterprise. Well, Paul, of course. Um, slipped right in and working ham- uh, side by side with Aquila and Priscilla there in Corinth. And of course, uh, with a trade like that, uh, not only having commercial connections, but then religious connections too, because eventually you're going to meet everybody in town. Yeah, yeah. And how important is this, what you're talking about, George, as it relates to how we think about uh, those figures in Scripture and even generally, you know, the saints? There, there's a tendency to hear St. Paul or even a Priscilla or Aquila in sacred scripture and, and have them out here somewhere. Where we can't touch them. But what you're speaking to now, it really uh, brings home the earthiness, if you mm-hmm. will, of these figures in, in sacred scripture and the fact that the biblical text highlights this. I mean, exactly. this, is, this is very important. Luke wants us to understand mm-hmm. something. He wants us to see something here. Well, there's a powerful complementarity in Aquila and Priscilla. And uh, Jesus sends the 70 out two by two. Well, here you have a built-in two by two, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this couple. Yeah, yeah. And one was probably the bold one, 
And the other one was probably the very tactful one. Mm -hmm. And I kind of see Aquila as maybe, uh, um, I think there is a tradition that he had served as a bishop at some point. Mm -hmm. um, I was, didn't have a chance to track that down. And of course, as, as a man uh, taking a position of leadership in the early church, that would have been something that, um, an opportunity that um, would have been afforded to him. Uh, but on the other hand, and you know, even today, and uh, you know, and I don't—it's not that I want to see things through 21st century eyes. But in our African American churches, there's something called the church mama. Church mama is that wise old lady that you take your problems to. Yeah, yeah. You don't necessarily yeah. talk to the pastor, but you're gonna take it to the church mama. Sure. She'll understand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Priscilla yeah. was perhaps a fabulous church mama. Yeah. And Aquila might have been a little intimidating. <laughs> okay, maybe he was giving the sermon. But Priscilla was the one that you could approach and, and speak with and in a very kind but in a very knowledgeable way because she was a sharp lady, I'm sure. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, as you talk about this, George, I, I think this takes us to uh, an encounter later in Chapter 18, which I think is very mm -hmm. important and really highlights what you're talking about right now. And this is uh, their encounter with Apollos. Mm -hmm. And I want to go ahead and read a few mm -hmm. verses directly from the book of Acts for our, our listening audience. So this is chapter 18, verses 24 to 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. Gosh, George, you were talking about important ports. I mean, yes. ports of Alexandria, that's Absolutely. the second largest port in the world next to Rome, right? Yes. So a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man and well-versed in scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things con concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and expounded to him the way of God more accurately. How about that, George? That's striking to me. It is. Uh, here you have a man who's really on fire for mm -hmm. God. He's fervent in spirit. He's eloquent. Mm -hmm. uh, and clearly he's a good teacher. He taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. But what did Priscilla and Aquila do here? Mm -hmm. I mean, today we have many people who are on fire for God. We have many uh, men and women who are eloquent speakers of the faith. But what did they do? Mm -hmm. Priscilla and Aquila completed the Christian formation of this, of this man, this convert from the Jewish faith. I mean, he wasn't a Christian mm -hmm. apologist. What's going on here? Well, they were able to share with him the treasure that they had received from Paul, personally from Amen. Paul. Amen, yes, yes. And, you know, you have to hand it to Apollos. Here's this man that, as it says, uh, an eloquent speaker had authority, was an authority on the scriptures. But the most important characteristic that Apollos had, he was teachable. Yeah. Humble. 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 Yeah. I mean, orators aren't usually uh, humble, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. in the classic sense. And that's an excellent point, George, an excellent point. And mm -hmm. then how about Priscilla and Aquila? Mm -hmm. You know, there, I mean, they needed to be able to teach him. Mm -hmm. uh, he, if he was a man who was well-versed, you said it, he would, they were hanging out with Paul. Uh, we could never reinforce the point enough in regards to Paul. Here's a man who was Rabbi Gamaliel's uh, star pupil. Who was he? Well, Acts mm -hmm. 5 records Rabbi Gamaliel as kind of the, 
the scholar of scholars, it was said of him, mm-hmm. uh, when he died, the glory of the Torah died. Yes. I mean, and Paul was his prize pupil. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, you know, why does Paul quote the Old Testament 500 times? Because he wanted the people to see the scriptures concerning Jesus, that he fulfilled the prophetic thrust of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He taught Priscilla and Aquila. And here you have them speaking to this man, Apollos, this evangelist, Apollos, essentially completing his formation. Uh, there's a phrase here used, the way. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. The way was actually a code name, George, for the early Christians. Yes. Uh, the way was uh, caught up in some, some of the great Isaiah prophecies. You go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Isaiah was picking up on this idea uh, from, from the book of Exodus, where the way was the, the Exodus. They would pick up this, the way, the early Christians, as it relates to the way from sin to salvation. Mm-hmm. And so this was their, their code name. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of saw themselves essentially uh, as staking claim to the great Isaiah messianic vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, all very important. Now, if you were to drop down there, verse 28, we read, for, and this is Apollos, for he powerfully powerfully confuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there you have it. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the, the completion of the formation. I think, uh, you know, not only was pa- Apollos teachable, but also, and it mentions here Priscilla first, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, had a certain uh, presence about them, and there was, it could be that their, um, you know, their reputation as disciples of Christ preceded them, and the general respect accorded to them by the community. I think that, that it, it speaks much to their standing, their holiness, and their um, dedication to their faith, and also to their learning. Yeah, George, they were an embodiment in every way of that great verse from 1 Peter 3.15. You know, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear or or gentleness and reverence. I mean, this, I'm sure, is what this couple was about. Then that's that's part of the invitation, isn't it, really? Uh, that gentleness and that reverence. Mm-hmm. So as we move through scriptures a little bit here, George, with these figures of Aquila and uh, Priscilla or Prisca, we have one from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 19. And, and when, when you read this one verse, you may not think much of it, but a verse that's very important for our discussion. So Paul is writing this first letter to the Corinthians from Ephesus. Together with his own greeting, he ex- explicitly sent those of Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house. What's going on there? Well, they're meeting in home churches. The, um, the, cre- the way is not officially recognized and is still... Uh, although I would imagine surprisingly widespread by this time, it's not necessarily great in numbers. But um, Christians, uh, if they're still meeting in the synagogue, they're not meeting there on Sundays. That's the you know the day of the Lord in yes. um, the Christian tradition. Yes, and a time for the hearing of the word, the breaking of the word, but the breaking of bread. We saw that last Sunday, of course, the uh, reading of the road to Emmaus. This is the form of Christian worship that has been with us since apostolic times. 
that, uh, you know, it's not that we go to a large meeting hall and we hear a praise band and simply hear a sermon, that there is the word of God needs to be proclaimed, it needs to be explained, and then there is the breaking of the bread. And um, Christ appearing to us, uh, you know, um, in the breaking of bread. So the sacramental life was already established at that time, and of course they would meet then in believers' houses. I think it points, I think it, it Aquila and Prisca were likely very successful as tent makers yes. to be able to either rent or own a piece of property that would have been able to accommodate you know, the uh, Christian community within whatever municipality they were at. Yeah, as you were talking about that, I was going back to, to Acts 2, uh, verse 42 here, uh, George, as it relates to what those gatherings would have looked like. I, I love this verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe we can go to verse 41 Acts 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And verse 42, they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. So you have teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayers. Essentially, you, you have the early life of the church in this interpersonal communion. And that's what it was about. Right. Uh, it's not... Also, too, these home churches are not unknown to archaeology. Uh, there's mm. a site in Syria, uh, Dura Europos, which was a Roman outpost. It was excavated in the 1930s by American and French archaeologists. Uh, at this site, which had been destroyed by the Persians, um, the, there was a large synagogue, but there was also a Christian house church. They know it was Christian because of the paintings on the wall. Yes, and uh, this dates it would probably date from about 240 A.D. Uh, of course, this is before Christianity was legalized within the Roman Empire, so there would have still been periodic persecutions. It wasn't until probably a century later, the reign of Constantine, that that Christianity received an official recognition. So Christians still meeting in homes. Uh, this house had a large room uh, for you know preaching, uh, carrying the word of God, and celebrating the Eucharist. And then also uh, there was a baptistry. Uh, there were depictions on the wall, um, Jesus walking on the water, the three women at the tomb, and um, a, a number of other uh, paintings have survived, uh, scenes from uh, the story of Christ, and then also from the Old Testament. And so we, you know, we, we have here one of these house churches. And um, it's, um, it, it, it's important to note that these were set up for sacramental events, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. Talking here, baptism, and you just read that piece from Acts, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And um, also, too, that they gathered for, you know, the breaking of the bread. Yeah. And as we talk about the identity of the sacramental church, I mean, what we have in this married couple uh, really is a couple that is about... Uh, the virtue of hospitality, George. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're welcoming, they're receiving, they're they're embracing the community. Mm-hmm. They've embraced their vocation not only as tent makers. That there's there's a religious dimension to this as well. Mm-hmm. And how important is this for us to really understand? You know, when we talk about this idea of the church, yeah, in, in the Greek we have the ecclesia. It means assembly of believers. It translates the Old Testament kehal. Um, but when you, when you get behind that Greek, there's something else going on. The the ekhalin is 
to call out from. So in this to call out from, you have this threefold action going on. They've been called by Jesus Christ. They've been called specifically to abandon the world of, of sin and death. And lastly, to embrace this vocation uh, that has been given to them. They've been sent forth. They have been called to embrace this unique and dynamic missionary spirit. Yeah, uh, they were kicked out of Rome, but they could have gone a lot of different ways, George. They embraced the way, and the way being Jesus Christ. And this is what they're doing, and they're doing it beautifully in this this virtue of welcoming, receiving, mm-hmm. uh, this virtue of hospitality. Mm-hmm. And the passing on faithfully of the tradition as they had received it from Paul. Yes, and yes. That, you know, of course, that's another item that's highlighted there in, in Acts and other parts of the New Testament, handing on this tradition. Yes. Yeah. By the way, you know, I just wanted to mention this. Uh, it, it Dura Europa, where the house church is located, mm-hmm. they also mm-hmm. found a fragment um, written in Hebrew of a liturgy and a Eucharistic prayer. Ah, And yes. a scholar was able to link it to uh, having certain similarities to something found in the Didache. Mm. And um, so... You know, the idea that in the, the earliest uh, churches, there was a liturgy. Yes. And um, that was something, you know, last time I was on, Joe, I didn't mention, but I should have mentioned we were talking about Mark. Okay, well, Mark, of course, the author of the Gospel of Mark. Mark also, the author, the composer of a liturgy that's yes. still used by the Coptic Church in yes. Alexandria, Egypt. Yes. So, the, you know, the, the idea that our Christian worship isn't just something arbitrary, and that we just sort of make it up on the spot, but that there, uh, the apostles left us with a shape and a form and the actual words that can be used for our worship services and properly should be used uh, to encapsulate the story of Christ and the meaning of the breaking of bread. Yeah, I mean, he didn't say, write this. He said, do this. Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. This was the identity of the early church. Mm -hmm. A point that I've been reflecting on quite a bit on this radio program recently, George, is more than an idea, the reality in the early church, that when you talked about the New Testament, it, it wasn't a corpus of books. It was what Christ said it was, Mm -hmm. the blood that he poured out on the cross. When Mm -hmm. he says in Mark 14, 24, this is the blood of the what? The new covenant, also translated as New Testament. So this was the identity of the early Christian church. They were simply following his command. Yes. And it's interesting to note, we were talking about Paul earlier. Uh, For this muscle-bound intellect that he had, quoting the Old Testament all these times, the only time he quotes Christ is when? 1 Corinthians 11, verses uh, 23 and following, where he's essentially quoting Christ in the upper room. Anyhow, uh, George, moving forward with the remainder of our time, I just wanted to to note this last verse where we uh, find uh, Prisca and Aquila. Uh, Paul is writing to the Romans, and he sends his very precise greetings to 26 different figures, two of which are... Prisca and Aquila, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I, but also all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. Mm -hmm. Greet also the church in their house. How about that? It's huge. (laughs) How about that? Well, 
It could very well be uh, referring to that riot that was stirred up in Ephesus mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. by the silversmith. Was it Demetrius? Yes, yes, okay. yeah. And um, <laughs> anyway, it's part of the Christian faith is uh, um, kind of crowding out their tourist business with uh, little silver shrines to artists. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, and I was taken in this verse, George, by the fact that, uh, you know, the whole church of the Gentiles, the universal church had really begun to see the way, the early mm -hmm. Christian church had begun to see uh, the importance of those who were welcoming them, and certainly these, these two were, were a part of that. I don't think that Paul was prone to hyperbole. Mm -hmm. I think he was mm -hmm. too academic to be one to exaggerate. Sure, And sure. really, in a way, you have uh, the reflection here of a very grateful heart, and in a sense, the heart of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Paul would have lived a unit of life. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, but also to all the churches of the M Gentiles, you know, I am grateful. Yeah, it's Enormous. Yeah. It really is, and to, to make note here that uh, this all came about, George, because of their willingness— this all came about because they embraced their vocation as a married couple. And, you know, Pope Benedict, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, was reflecting upon this married couple, and, and he says, you know, this couple in particular demonstrates how important the action of Christian spouses is. Mm -hmm. When they are supported by the faith and by a strong spirituality, their courageous commitment for the Church and in the Church becomes natural. Yes. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. This teaching uh, ought to encourage us to better understand, George, how every home can transform itself into a little church, how every home ought to essentially revolve their whole day around the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Right. Constantly opening ourselves up to, you know, we talk about the way. Well, I mean, this is all John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And to put Jesus Christ in the middle and, and to allow him to take control of your life. That's an exciting thing. I mean, it took Priscilla and Aquila amazing places from, from one city to, to the next, you know, and, and God wants to take over our souls, our lives, mm -hmm. um, our families that way. And uh, I thought, this certainly today, this evening, was worthwhile to reflect into um, this married couple, to just appreciate the dynamic and the importance of, of what married life looks like as it relates to evangelization. Amen. Great program, George. Thank you so much. You offered a lot this evening, and Thank I appreciate you, the gift of your time, um, as always. And I do look forward to the next time you joining me on, on this Tuesday evening where we look into uh, the history of the Church. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen, Amen. and God bless you. been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe 
at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.